So I need to grab my Bible here and my clicker. And the video just got a big shot of my belt buckle. Hey, Miss Evie, can I get a five? There we go. Thank you. That's a good five, Ev. So really, all right, hold on. We have a lot of scripture to cover. A whole lot of scripture, as in this was one of those weeks where it's like I almost didn't put it in the bulletin because I'm not sure that you can read it. And um, so, get ready. This is going to be a short sermon with a lot of scripture that will make up for that. Hopefully, you were not planning on going out to eat anywhere. If you are, uh, actually, it won't be very long, but uh, I, I pity you because do you know that like statistically, Mother's Day is the day where restaurants are the busiest, which is why uh, my wife and I, when we celebrated Mother's Day uh, with kids, we would eat the day before the day after. <laughs> so this is what the Word of the Lord says, starting at verse 25. There we go. I'm so sorry. I'm looking going, this scripture does not sound right. It's because I am in the sixth chapter of the gospel according to Luke. Like, that, that is not what I'm talking about tonight <laughs> or today. Uh, it's literally why I was like, and it, the, the break is not even right. Okay, so John 6, starting at verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do uh, to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the, works of God is, the work of God is this to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will rise, uh, raise them up uh, uh, at that last day. At this the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. 
It is written in the prophets, they will be taught by God. Everyone has heard the Father and learned from Him. Uh, excuse me, everyone who has heard the Father and learned from Him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only He has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you, you have no life in, uh, in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate. There we go. Um, our power for the, the mic is going out. I'm just going to need to get a new one. Just as the living flesh, uh, the living Father sent me, and I live because of my Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever f feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing, the words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Yet, there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave, do you? Uh, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. Now that's a lot of scripture, I know. But we're going to talk about one main point, And we're going to start off by thinking about GPS. Now, what most of you don't know is, is that Pam and I... While we are both technological people, we are slow on uptake of certain technologies. We're not Amish, but we have this mindset of we don't want to be dependent on certain things. 
And one of those was a GPS unit. Now, for you college students, you don't use these anymore. But at one time, we did not have smartphones that we could just tell to take us to places, and they would lead us in the right direction. Unless you're this lady. Did you all hear about the lady this past week who drove her rental vehicle into a lake because the GPS coordinates told her to go that way? It is like literally a scene from the office. She literally drove a minivan into a lake and claimed it was because of the GPS. So... I don't think anybody in the room would do that. But at one time in our lives, we did not have our phones to do this. You bought a GPS unit, unless your name is Robert or Pam, in which case you're like, we can print out paper maps and that's good enough. That was until 2008 for us. I know you guys were not alive in 2008. I'm just joking. You were. You were. 2008, we had to go to Rochester, Rochester, Minnesota, which is a gorgeous city if you've ever been there or not. It's just wonderful. And um, we took a wrong turn. I don't mean by this a wrong turn where you realize about three minutes later that you took a wrong turn. We drove 80 miles out of the way. It was an hour and a half the wrong direction, and then we had to drive back an hour and a half to get back, back to go in the right direction. And we were supposed to be there for a meeting that was about us getting funding to start the church. It had a start time that we were supposed We called them. We were like, hey, we're going to be late. This is where we are. They all got a good laugh out of it. We felt like idiots. And at that point, we said, we are buying a GPS unit. The story today is not about people going down the wrong path. It's about people going down a path that was the right path that they later on figured out, this is not the path I want to be on. And I'm going to show it to you with a graph. So students, you're literally going to get some math, like a graph, a graph today. It's not really math, but there are numbers involved in it. And it comes from this one verse here. So... Would you hit it, please, Charlie? Apparently. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is literally the summary of the whole passage that we just read. Everything he, he talks about is him explaining what this means further when he's talking and people asking him about it afterwards. But here's what happens. Would you hit the side, please? Hit it. All right, I'm going to try it. So if this is the gospel according to John, so, chapter 1, chapter 21. So, was that you or me? Oh, okay. So, from John 1 to John chapter 6, Jesus' following goes up dramatically. At the beginning of John chapter 6, we can make an estimate. We know there were 5,000 men there. So, if there were 5,000 men there, let's assume there were around another 5,000 women that were there. Okay? Wouldn't have been uncommon. I mean, population, I believe in the, in the world right now, it's 52% female and 48% male. Does that sound right? There's just slightly more females than, than male. So there are probably about the same number of, of females that were there for the feeding of 5,000. So the feeding of 5,000 now is no longer the feeding of 5,000, but the feeding of the possible 10,000. And let's just assume... Uh, because this is, this is something that is different from the modern church and ancient Near Eastern Judaism. There would have been kids there. People did not like go, hey, let's send them to the nursery. Let's send them to daycare and pay lots of money for them to be in daycare. Am I right, Maria? Lots of money. 
Let's, let's work a third job so that we can afford to send our kids to daycare. The ancient Near East, there was not daycare. You had family that took care of them on certain things, but kids usually went with you to things. Uh, one of the, the fascinating things in all of Scripture is if you read, Paul starts writing these lists of husbands act this way, um, uh, wives act this way, young men act this way, young women act this way. He also lists off how the children should act. And what's fascinating about that is in ancient Near Eastern writings at the time, it would have been fathers teach your children this, which implies that the children are not there with them. Paul directs things to the children, which implies that children would have been a part of the early church, which I find fascinating. So let's say there's 5,000 kids there. Not everybody, uh, all of the 5,000 men, all the 5,000 women, they're not all couples. But let's say some of them are more prolific and some of them are single. We're just going to average it up. That means there's about 15,000 people following Jesus at this time. Now, I don't know about you, but you've got 15,000 people that are following you. That's a pretty impressive movement. And in the ancient Near East at this time, the largest city in the world was Rome. It had about one million people in it. Jerusalem at the time was probably the largest city in the area of, of Israel, and it probably had around 100,000 people in it. So 15,000 people following you, that's huge. People would be putting, if Time Magazine existed then, Jesus would have been the man of the year. They would have been lifting him up on that. And at this chapter, from chapter 6 to the rest of, of the end of the gospel according to John. Jesus' followers shrink. Now, this is not truly a chronological time period because John is three years minus one week for about a third of the gospel of John, and then the last two-thirds are the last week of Jesus' life uh, on earth. So it's not chronological, but what happens is he goes from around 15,000 to around 300 Around 300, now think of that. What do you think you'd be feeling if you were a part of that movement at that time? If you remember when there were 15,000 people and you now look and there's 300. I mean, think about it. We usually have around 30 people in the room. We're really low today. It feels a little off. Not a bad thing. It's the fact our, our family is, is going and they're celebrating people that are important. To them. That's a good, wonderful, glorious thing. But if we don't admit, it feels a little weird in the room. That, that's a weird thing. If this was our everything every Sunday that would feel weird the pandemic for us we used to average around 40 or so and then we shrank down to where there were a lot of weeks where it was like six of us here there were a couple of weeks where I think there were three of us here that felt weird think of how the disciples would have felt going from 15,000 to 300 this is not the story of success that we normally tell in the world. If you see a church that booms to 15,000, you're going to praise that church. This is the model. This is the future. This is the way things are supposed to go. And if they go from 15,000 to 300, nobody's going to be saying, they are incredibly faithful. Look at how they follow Jesus. He says to them, I am the bread of life. 
and, and the people respond by leaving. Now, when he dies and comes back to life, most importantly, it's an entirely different thing, okay? I mean, we go from 300 to about 40% of the world population and 7 billion is now professed Christians. That's a big difference. And the church is still booming. Okay? You may look in, in the Western world and go, well, the church is not growing and there's some truth to that. But in the rest of the world, the church is booming. It is booming in Africa. It is booming in Latin America. It is booming in Asia. The largest Christian country in the world, as in not Christian as in the country is Christian, the largest Christian population in any country in the world is in China right now. There are more Christians in China than there are in, U in the U.S. A lot of people wouldn't think that, but it is booming. And that all happened from 300 followers. And we know why they were offended. They tell us in the passage, it says the following. And at this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? They find it a hard teaching for him to say, I'm what gives you life. They find it a hard teaching for him to say, I am what life is all about. Now, there's a C.S. Lewis quote that helps me to understand Christianity. Now, this is a drawing that my son did for me for Father's Day years ago. It hangs on uh, my study uh, closet door. But the quote says this. It says, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because of it, I see everything else. Jesus is saying, I am what life is all about. And what he means by that is that he is the purpose of life and it flows out into everything else we do. Now, the temptation for Christians is to say, oh, Jesus is what life's all about. So we need to make everything Christian-y. I'm going to give you an example. Pam and I are going to go to two weddings that are connected to Tapestry in the month of June. One is Sally Tiffany. Some of you remember Sally. She's not here anymore. And then the other is Mariah. So Mariah will be back here in June. Uh, Mariah gets married on June 10th, if I remember right, and Sally is June 17th. It may be the reverse of that. I love going to weddings because I think they're incredibly God-honoring. But the temptation quite often with many Christians is to say, we want to make sure our wedding honors God, so therefore we're going to put worship songs in it. Now, I love worship songs. I mean, the Holties will tell you, I got excited when we were practicing. I love that last song, One, uh, One Day, just makes me so happy. But do you know what the most worshipful thing that happens in a wedding is? It's not somebody singing songs. It's two people coming before God and making vows to love one another in the presence of God. That's what honors God. And the temptation with Christianity is to say we have to Christianize everything rather than realizing that there is not one inch in all of creation that Jesus doesn't look at and declare mine. That's not my quote. That's a guy named Abraham Kuyper, who is a, uh, a Dutch theologian. All of life belongs to Jesus. And that means he gets to shape what it's like. 
what you're studying, what you're doing job-wise, what you're doing parenting-wise should be shaped by Jesus at its core. And I'm going to give you an example from my newest favorite family member. This is Lucy. Technically, her name is Queen Lucy the Valiant, so we need to correct that. There we go. Okay. You guys will get to meet her today. You will come to the house. She has a bladder of steel when she is crated and a bladder of Play-Doh when she meets new people. It should really make you feel good. You probably don't have many friends in your life that get so excited about seeing you that they pee all over the place. Lucy is going to. So when we introduce you to her, we will do so in the kitchen where the floor is tiled. <laughs> or we could do it outside where we wouldn't have to mop it up. That's true. Lucy's a basset hound. And if you know anything about basset hounds at all, they are typically described as a nose with feet. She has one purpose in life, and that purpose is to smell things. And it directs everything she does. So, she's the only basset hound we've ever had that walks a lot. I have already walked her 1.2 miles this morning. I got up at 6.30. I walked her 1.2 miles and then came back in. Yesterday, I walked her 4.4 miles. Any of you walk 4.4 miles yesterday? You probably did. On all of that walking, her nose is to the ground the entire time. She, she finds things like you would not believe. One, there were turkeys yesterday when we were walking that were blown up. We have turkeys in our neighborhood and they're, they're, they're uh, strutting right now. So they're just, they blow up really big, fan out their tails. She didn't see them, but she found the trail and just followed them. And I was just, I was watching her just trying to figure out when is she finally going to, to look up and see the turkeys because they're like 50 feet in front of her now. And she is just sniffing, going crazy. She loves smells. She finds things like this. That is a quick trip sweet and sour uh, packet. If you notice, she's a little blurry because she found that. I realized she found that because it was in her mouth and I was like, what are you eating, girl, while we were on our fifth mile of the morning? And I pulled it out of her mouth and put it down again because I, I was too far away and I didn't have any place to carry it. I was going to just mess up everything. Um, and so I put it somewhere where a neighbor could could get it for garbage and such and then I thought well I'll take a picture of that to use for the sermon today because I didn't see it she just found it and as I am going back she goes oh he's gonna let me have it and she is jumping for it again you should be able to see the blur she's a nose with feet and while we were working on our 20th mile this morning and I pulled her away from a scent she decided she just wanted to stay in that scent so she just rolled in it there are a lot of things she does in life. But everything is shaped by her nose. When she meets you guys today, the first thing she's going to do, besides pee all over the floor, is she's going to sniff you. She's going to love to be petted, but she's going to sniff your hand. She is a nose with feet. 
Jesus wants to be the bread of life. He wants to be the very thing that gives us meaning and defines how everything else is, is brought into our life. It shapes not only how we act, but what we think is important. That's what it means for him to be the bread of life. He sustains us, but he also determines what gives us joy. He determines how we act on things. It's a big deal. It means that he is exclusive in his nature. A lot of things may claim to be what's most important to us, but he wants to be what's most important to us. That's why we use the word Lord. It was literally stolen from Caesar. To be a good Roman citizen, you had to declare that Caesar is Lord. It meant that he had control of your life. And the early Christians were not considered good citizens because they could not say that Caesar was in control of their life. Even though they would do everything that Caesar asked, as long as it did not object with what, uh, what Jesus asked. They would be good citizens. They paid their taxes. They did what they were supposed to do. But they could not say that Caesar is Lord. And therefore the Roman Empire hated them. Pliny the Elder is one of the people we know this from. Excuse me, Pliny the Younger. Pliny the Elder was his uncle. Pliny the, the, the Younger wrote a lot, and he was a governor in an area in the Roman Empire. And he wrote to the Emperor Trajan because he dealt with a bunch of Christians. And this is what he said with the Christians. He said, Meanwhile, in the case of those who, uh, who were denounced to me as Christians, I have observed the following procedure. I interrogated these as to whether they were Christians. Those who confessed, I interrogated a second and a third time, threatening them with punishment. Those who persisted, I ordered executed. For I had no doubt, whatever the nature of their creed, stubbornness and inflexibility or inflexible obstinance surely deserve to be punished. All right, do you see what he's saying here? He's saying, I asked him if they were Christians, if they persisted in saying they were, uh, they were Christians. I killed them. And the only reason he killed them was because they were obstinate in continuing to say, Jesus is my Lord. Because as far as the Roman Empire was concerned, you could have any belief if you came back and you were willing to say that Caesar is Lord. In John 6, the people that are following Jesus are fine with Jesus as long as he's just something they can add to their life. Oh, you'll give us bread. That's wonderful. But the second he says, I am what life is all about. I'm what gives you life. I'm what determines what your life should be like. Their response is, we know his mother and father. Who does he think he is? Jesus has a claim for exclusivity. That claim is, I'm what life is completely about. He, he says it in John 14. He says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I think people are still upset by that. So often in Christianity, we want to add Jesus to what we're already doing rather than allowing him to shape all of our lives. Being Christian is okay as long as you don't get too crazy about it. Being Christian is fine as long as it's just something off on the side. But the second he really shapes how you live your life, 
well, then he's dangerous. I think Mother's Day, truthfully, is a bit of an example of this. It is a holiday that has made its way into the church that has nothing to do with Christianity. And mothers are wonderful. We need to celebrate you. I'm all for celebrating. I'm all for all of us going out to one of the restaurants and fighting to get a table. But I have seen churches that made such a big deal about Mother's Day that the people that for various reasons either did not want to be a mother or could not be a mother or had lost a child were hurt in what was supposed to be an act of worship. I mean, Jesus didn't have kids. As far as we know, Paul was not married. There is some debate about that. But he was definitely single uh, by the time he was writing. And his life wasn't less than, but so often we lift up the way of the world and what values it, and we just put Christian tags on it rather than lifting up the way of Jesus. You see it happen all over the place where people Christianize things rather than allowing Jesus to actually set our values. What would it mean for us to say, Jesus is the most important thing in my life. He shapes the way I live. How would it change the way we act? How would it change what we value? How would it change what we live? If we were to say, He is what actually gives me life. I think the reality is that message still chases people away from Jesus quite often. And don't hear me saying you need to go do more religious activity. It's not what I'm saying. Jesus needs sociologists, He needs people that are working in, in the caregiving industry. He needs people that are moms. He needs people that are dads. He needs people that are grandparents that are following him by saying, Jesus is what shapes the way I view all of life. To go back to that C.S. Lewis quote, I believe in Christianity like I believe that the sun is risen, not just because I see it, but because through it I see everything else. Is he the bread of life for you? So before I end, does anybody have anything to add? Okay. Then here's my encouragement. The beautiful thing among many things in this passage that Jesus says is, it's not all about you working harder for him to, to be your, your purpose in life. If you notice, he says, no one comes to me unless they're pulled by the Father. It's the Father's responsibility to slowly but surely, through the work of the Spirit, shape you to be more like Jesus. Our job is just to allow the Spirit to work. This week, maybe ask yourself, what does it mean this week for him to be my bread of life? As I'm with my neighbors, as I'm with my friends, as I'm with crowds, as I'm with myself. What does it mean for him to be the most important thing in my life and to shape how I view all of life? I think what will happen is we will give others more grace and we will give ourselves more grace because we'll be looking through his eyes. So would you join with me in our closing prayer? Would you take it to the prayer, please?
Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. May He be your all in all. May you find that He is wonderful bread, very tasty, very life-giving. Have a great week. Let's clean up. College students, I'll give you my address so you can eat with us, okay? Thanks for joining us.